Welcome to Band Basics, a partnership with Yabya Music and Arts and Seven Streams Media. I'm your host, Mark Anderson. And I'm your host, Devin Morris. Okay, so here's the deal. We're always receiving questions from musicians that fall outside the scope of information we usually offer as a publication. Over the history of our site, we've tried to offer helpful hints here and there on a variety of subjects, from booking shows to contacting the press. But we feel that we should delve even further. We want to get really into what it's like to be a musician, starting with the basics and moving into some of the joys and trials you might have faced along the way. I'd like to introduce you to our first guest on our Band Basics podcast. Brandon Kellum joins us in the studio, the lead singer for American Standards. Uh, Welcome, Brandon. Thank you for coming down. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be on the first episode here. It's so great to have you on. I I want to mention right off the bat that um, when Yab Yum... Uh, when we first started getting into this idea of trying to offer some band basics at the beginning of 2017, uh, we started emailing folks here and there um, some questions about this. But then literally within months later, um, you out of nowhere hit us up and um, inquired about writing some articles actually about, um, you know, some band uh, related stuff. And so uh, gotta gotta say the timing couldn't have been more perfect because we ended up titling your series "Lessons Learned," and now I believe you've written six articles on, on, on a variety of subjects, uh, everything from touring um, to DIY to booking shows. And so, for more info on that, I, I definitely recommend checking out those articles on our site, yabiumwest.com. But we're, now we wanted to invite him as our first guest because we want to explore even further. Um, and so I just want to ask you right off the bat, is American Standards um, your only musical project? Uh, it is at the moment, yeah. So uh, I don't think, think I'd actually be able to uh, take on any more than what I already do in American Standards. Indeed. It encompasses <laughs> so much of my time. Right. And um, so just starting here at the beginning uh, and moving forward, just kind of want to uh, talk about the name. How did you come up with that? Uh, did you or anyone else help pick it out? Or did you have other ideas floating around? Yeah, so we, we kind of got in a room and we're just, you know, spitballing ideas for band names and every name that someone threw out, you know, honestly, everybody, one person in the band wouldn't like it or another person in the band wouldn't like it. So we basically said, okay, we're going to take a break. Everybody's going to go their own way and, you know, kind of do their own thing. And uh, I, you know, went into the restroom, looked down in the toilet and I saw yes. American Standard <laughs> and I said, okay, so what we're looking for here as a band is a name that really doesn't take itself too seriously. But at the same time, people may attach their own meaning to it. And uh, so we originally looked American Standard up and we said, uh, is it going to be the American Standard, American Standard, or American Standards? And uh, we actually had to put the S on there so we could copyright it. Excellent. Ah, yeah, that, <laughs> that, that is amazing because, um, not going to lie, I have gone to the bathroom and looked down at a urinal and seen American Standard and thought to myself, oh my gosh, I, I almost wanted to take a picture, but sure, I'm sure so many people over the years have probably done that. It does, yeah. <laughs> Every day we wake up and we get tagged on it on uh, Instagram or Twitter. And I think that's really the goal is like we, I mean, we wanted to have something that would kind of outlive us, right? And these toilets have been around for I think it's been around for 200 years or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. So the idea is like, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, someone's going to look down and see American Standard and be like, I remember seeing a band called that, you know, back when I was a kid. So it's, it's something that I think kind of allows us to live on uh, 
longer than we would otherwise. That's pretty amazing. But um, American Standards is by no means a new kid on the block. You guys have been around for quite a few years now, I would yeah, say, right? Yeah, we're actually uh, going on our sixth or seventh year. So, Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. Excellent. Um, uh, just to just to finish up with the names here, it seems like you already addressed some of the important elements when choosing a band name. But uh, I just wanted to finish with: are, are there any other band names that you just like that come to mind, or or something that uh, you wish you could steal, or would have reverted to over time? Like some people now that are in bands hate their band's name, yeah. but it seems like you guys got a pretty good one. Yeah, you know. Um... I don't know about as far as like specific names, but I do like the names that like when you when you hear the name, you don't know what the style is, and then they define that name and define that style. So a good example of that is um, Slipknot. Love them or hate them. When you think of Slipknot now, you think of that as being like a heavy band and a heavy right. name, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but really the the word Slipknot doesn't really have that connotation <sighs> until they define that. Indeed, I think like Corn's another example. As stupid of a name that is. They made this th- name that, like, before you ever heard of Corn, you wouldn't know that this was going to be a heavy band or a, you know, what style of band. You almost, I would almost say back then, if I didn't know Corn and I heard that name, I'd think maybe like a pop punk band or a punk rock band. Indeed. Um, and they've kind of defined that. So I do like the names that um, don't pigeonhole you into a certain style. So right. the same with American Standards. For us, I think. Uh, um, it's not one of those things that uses words that are like way too cliched, you know, like uh, people have, you know, blood or murder or kill or, you know, right, those right. types of things. All those stereotypical like death metal or hardcore band names um, and words that people t- t- kind of gravitate towards. Um, we didn't want that in that. So I think uh, bands, when you're thinking of your band name, it's important to think of not like what do you sound like right now, but where may you go in a year or five years from now? And don't let that name kind of pigeonhole you into what you're just doing for that moment. Indeed. Yeah, great answer. I think uh, I think like with corn and stuff, the logo helped too. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? The the K and the backwards, the backwards R. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the squiggly <laughs> font there, you know. I, yeah. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, presentation is a is a is a big part of that too. Um, I actually wanted to ask: uh, Have you ever re- um, had to uh, send a cease and desist? Has anyone else ever uh, um, tried to use American standards, or have you ever received a cease and desist from anyone? Yeah, that's actually a good question. I guess we're just waiting to the day where we get big enough for uh, the toilet company to kind of come after us. <laughs> but um, you said you were able to trademark it or copyright yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, so we were able to, luckily. Um, but we, we've never received a cease and desist. We've actually seen other bands um, more recently um, that have used the name or a variation of the name. But uh, I don't know. For, for me, I don't feel like we... Um, I don't want to say we don't own it because I guess technically we do own it, but I don't want to say like it, it's worse for us to come after a band and say, hey, you can't do this anymore. Then it would just be like, do your own thing. If you guys get some traction, that's great for you. You know, we would hate to be the band that says, you know, this is ours. Give it, you know. Oh, like Metallica. Yeah, like, yeah. They went after they went after that uh, small business owner years back because he had like some gardening service or something. He called it Metallica. Oh, and man. they went after him. And he was just like a one guy, very small business thing. So yeah. Oh, I just wow. don't see. I, I don't see the. Um, the benefit in that if anything it probably hurts you more than it helps yeah, you yeah oh yeah. man for being of the size that we are we're not the biggest band in the world so who are we to come after somebody <laughs> else and say you know hey give this back right yeah. right um we actually too we we didn't know until um 
until years later that apparently there was a band, I think it was in the 70s or something, that used the name American Standard without the S. Oh, okay. Um, and it was more of, a, I think, like a punk rock band on the East Coast. Really? But uh, we, we looked up and we, I mean, this is another important thing about choosing a band name. We, we looked on Google. We went everywhere to make sure there was no one actively using that name. Indeed. And I think the fact that this was the 70s when this band was actually playing around, um, I think they just didn't have their stuff on the, the internet. Oh my gosh. Much, you know, so. Which, by the way, brand new singles came out, two of them, by this band Cake. And uh, I heard I heard them in Spotify, and I'm like, Cake, and it's the Cake. And then you go there, and it's linking you to like bands that are you know the cake we know and yeah. it's not this cake and it's oh, wow. this it's this cake from the 70s they play pure funk like what? oh my god <laughs> anyway and they the picture of them is just classic but yeah now all of a sudden someone somehow you know they paid or did whatever they do to get the music on spotify another exactly this this kind of situation comes up you know that's actually a good point too when you think about that because i i sometimes bands hit us up and they're like hey check out our music or we're coming through on tour can you help us get a show and uh we'll go to spotify and we'll type in their name and we'll see a list of 10 or 15 other bands with either that name or a similar name yeah. mm. so i guess when it comes to uh can it hurt you to have a similar name or or not going after the bands that are using your name i can see how that does hurt because Sometimes they're like, I'll click on one of those and I'm like, well, this is way different than I expected it to be. And they're like, oh, this isn't our music. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Or uh, us at Yabyum, you know, um, uh, we'll tag the wrong band sometimes yeah. just because too many of them have the same name. So that does happen. Uh, things to keep in mind, I suppose, um, when picking that ever important name. Um, but uh, I did want to move along to um, more of the, the songwriting process. Uh, um, uh, in, in fact, um, do you have any music training, Brandon, or do you even feel that musical training is important? Yeah, so my, uh, my initial instrument was guitar. So I started okay. uh, my freshman year of high school. My dad got me a guitar, and I remember I had no interest in playing guitar at the time. Um, but I also wasn't good at sports, so I had to do something, right? Um, so I, I remember just, you know, hitting with random finger placements, not not actual chords, probably not actually in tuning. And then after I finally learned how to read tabs, mm. that's when I was like, all right, who needs the music notes when you could just read tabs? Right. You know? yeah. Pull up the tab crawler or whatever it is, you know? And uh, I, I kind of taught myself that way. I, I learned... Uh, I learned a few songs and and way too quickly jumped into the idea of like let's actually start a band now. I feel everything that I, that I do is kind of that not only with music but like everything I do like if I if I get into it I get into it enough to where like I want to do it myself, you know. So like even like with podcasting I like I listen to podcasts I'm like I want to start a podcast now. Yeah. yeah. So like I I kind of throw myself into everything like wholeheartedly. <laughs> even though I may not have the talent to do any of it. That's yeah. awesome. So, yeah, hey, but, you know, it's more about doing, you know, yeah. you just got to keep doing it. Yeah, um, that's definitely the way we roll around here. Um, I wanted to ask you more about your songwriting process and if there's a process. I did um, do an interview for you uh, for Yab Yum, um, an insider's introduction, which you can read on our site. And I asked you the same question as well. Um, um, can you tell me about the American Standard songwriting process? And your answer was awesome. You basically said you prayed to the... The, um, the gods of metal, I believe, and then drank a bunch of beer, and then, uh, you know, it just happens. So I'm just curious now, if maybe you can elaborate more now that we're having a little bit more serious of a discussion for all the potential, you know, bands out there and, and everything, uh, um, you know, do you guys just basically get together and jam, or do you, you know, or both? People come in with written parts, and then you you expand? Yeah, yeah, so we're, we're kind of old school in the sense that um, 
we, we do get in a room, we have a practice space, we get in a room and normally someone comes with one or two ideas. Um, Corey, our guitarist, is normally the guy that comes with a few riffs and we kind of jam it from there and fill it out. Um, I, I think, I mean, now with the way technology is and you don't even need to be in the same room to write songs together. A lot of times it's either one guy sitting behind his computer programming drums and playing guitar, you know, directly and put it into the um, whatever interface or anything. And, and then by the time they get to a room and play it, that's, the song's already written. Um, I think that's great, but for us, we, we're always, it starts with, you know, a couple riffs, a couple ideas, we get in a room and we jam it from there. Um, I'm also like, I, my role in the band is almost like the person that organizes and then pulls it all together. So Corey comes in with two or three riffs on guitar and, uh, and I'm the one that says, well, maybe we should play this longer or shorter, or this is a great solid riff. We need to come back to this. Arrangement. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm more of the arranger. I, uh, I, I put what I like to say, like is a flavor on the song. So, uh, he may have a very straightforward piece and I'll say, okay, let's cut it up here and let's um, do a little stop here or kind of add something to make it um, a, a little more special, I guess. Okay, so yeah, basically just like the Beatles, but a little harder. Um, I like that. <laughs> no, well, obviously we're well familiar with the American Sandwich around here and um, have uh, covered them um, a couple times in our publication. But uh, now back to the questions. Um, uh, here's one for you. Uh, what are your feelings on the LP versus the EP? Or how much, uh, uh, how much focus do you think needs to be placed on singles, either by the industry or listeners? Or does it even matter? Yeah, I think uh, the industry's obviously changing quite a bit now with streaming uh, kind of taking over. So the way people consume music is really um, on a single base on, basis almost. So I think um, depending on what direction you're going for, for with your band, I, I think an LP obviously allows you uh, more reign artistically to create a vision and an atmosphere and, and tie everything together. Um, but sometimes it can be discouraging because you, you, know, you spend months uh, writing and recording these songs. You spend a ton of money and, and maybe only one or two out of the 10 or 12 get traction. Um, so so although artistically an LP makes sense, um, I think right now in a world when you go on Spotify, you're not even listening to the album in order sometimes. This is true. Um, it's cheaper to, to just record a single. It's right. uh, more instant gratification, meaning you could, uh, put it, you could put it out, see what the uh, feedback is, and then adjust based on that. So if you did something that worked or didn't work, you could kind of adjust on that. Oh, yeah. Many of the new artists that uh, we feature, um, they they literally just put out singles until they're noticed by some sort of someone, rep or anything. Yeah. And they, they won't even make an album until they're approached in order to do that. And, uh, yeah, so I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I your first album was an LP, and then the second album uh, was an EP, I believe. So you guys it have done a, some of both. Yeah, we've kind of bounced back and forth. And actually, we were we were on a gradual decline for a while where we uh, released, uh, I think the first one was like eight songs, and then we went down to five songs, and then down to three songs. And and pretty soon, we're just releasing singles and small video clips or audio clips of songs, you know. Like, oh, check, yeah. out this, <laughs> check out this 10 seconds. <laughs> this hook, it's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, no, the Anti-Melody, uh, the American Standards new album, um, or just Anti-Melody, I should yep. say, uh, um, that, that is a full album, quite a good full album at that. So, Thank But uh, I believe you had mentioned that 
you had recorded that album a year or more before you even released it. Yeah, yeah, we recorded. Uh, we started recording um, about two years prior to releasing it. Wow. Yeah, it, it took. It was a long process. You know, we we decided to go out to California for that um, to record at King Size Sound Labs, uh, which is a great studio. They've recorded bands like um, Mars Volta. Uh, Bad Religion, uh, Let Live, wow, yeah. Andrew WK, which was a big uh, seller for us. That is cool. Um, so it was a great studio, but um, unfortunately during the process, we kind of have a, had a lot of uh, things happen. Um, our guitarist, our initial guitarist, Cody, uh, actually committed suicide. Oh, wow. Um, and then just a few weeks after that, I found out my father had cancer and he passed away very quickly. Um, we came back to Arizona. Um, and we had so much time and money already bumped into these tracks. So it was one of those things where we, we couldn't scrap it all because we, we definitely liked the songs. But at the same time, we wanted to change the lyrical content. Um, and we just kind of had to rework a lot of the songs. So we came back. Uh, luckily, our drummer had a uh, history in recording. He worked at a studio out in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, and he mixed and mastered it for us. Or, wow, okay. um, sorry, not mastered. He mixed it for us, and we sent it out to get mastered. So I think it's much more raw uh, than than anything we had done in the past. Um, so a little bit under um, produced, but I, I think it also has like a sense of honesty in there. Um, it's, I, not, yeah. it's not perfect. It's not everything's not lined up. Um, like I think a lot of bands spend a lot of time on getting the right gear, the like you know expensive gear spends spends uh you know weeks and months in the studio and um and they really try to make something perfect but i think the more perfect you make it or the uh the more mechanical it sounds the less human it is you know yeah i definitely mm-hmm. think it fits your type of music too i don't think uh you know there there's got to be some grit in there for yeah. this type of music yeah. you're putting out there i don't want it to be all sterile and, and clean and and perfect um, as right. a listener, you know. Like uh, um, speaking of metal, black metal, uh, Burzum. He recorded one of his albums just through like a headphone. Oh, he, wanted, okay. he wanted to get like that really like oh my just, god, just this horrible kind of sound yeah. to it. But it really worked with his type of music because you know it's black metal. It's yeah. supposed to be like scary and shit. I feel like I saw a documentary on it. Actually, yeah, yeah, when the light takes us. There you go. It's so good. Yeah, I yeah. Loved, yeah. I did watch that. that yeah, that was yeah, really interesting. It was really good. I, I think a lot of a lot of bands, uh, especially in our genre, experiment with things like that when they're recording. So they'll they'll do a vocal track through a guitar amp um, yeah. or something that's not as traditional. You know, they'll um, they'll plug into what's not a traditionally known as like a good head or a good amp um, just to get a certain sound or tone that sounds a little less polished, a little less clean. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, uh, oh, sorry. Did oh, no. Um, I, I was surprised to hear, you know, that it took two years, but uh, quite honestly, that uh, had been a standard for a very long time. Yeah. I, I I would say, I, I would say with only in the last few years with the advent of more home recording, has that now suddenly changed? And, you know, now when we're getting music submitted to us, you know, on the regular, it, it, it seems like it, um, musicians aren't in the studio is that long, but I do actually think that that does still happen quite often. Um, but since we're on the subject of recording, I just sort of wanted to bring up what are your thoughts on uh, on home recording, or do you like to do studio only, or how about parts of both? Some people will record, you know, just the vocals or or just I don't know drums at their house, and then although those are probably the two of the hardest things to record, um, <laughs> you know, they'll record some parts at their house and then do yeah. other parts at the studio. So I'm I'm just sort of curious what your feelings on that yeah i think um i mean home recording is great it's, it's really level to play in field it's allowed people that um maybe don't have the, the the time or the money to to go to a big fancy expensive studio and rent it out for a few weeks um to to record on, on you know their when they have the free time and and for relatively cheap um also 
programs are really easy. A lot of people with no formal training can pick up, uh, you know, Pro Tools or, or any other system and kind of, you know, walk their way through it and figure right. it out, you know, learn from trial and error. And YouTube. Yeah, and yeah YouTube, YouTube. YouTube is fantastic. <laughs> YouTube and Google for everything. So I, I think it's great in that, uh, in that regard. Um, I, I think what it also creates, um, though, is... People, because we re- uh, because the industry is changing and people are releasing music much more often, um, it's created so much noise. So to be able to cut through the noise is a lot harder than yes. it used to be. Um, before, sometimes the and maybe this isn't the right thing, but b- the band that did go to the studio and put out this you know expensive album was a band that people had their ears on because there weren't a lot of bands that were able to do that. Uh, Indeed, a local band was didn't have that same capability. Um, now that everybody has that capability. Um, sometimes it feels like you you put your heart into something and then maybe it falls on deaf ears. Uh, yep. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it, like, yeah, when you release it on Bandcamp or anywhere, Spotify, and it's just within the... Yeah, you just open up an app and you instantly have all the music of the world at your fingertips. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly, I remember we, like hearing about an album a few months in advance and then the day before going to stand in line at oh the Zia Records right? or the oh, Warehouse. Yeah. To get it at midnight? Yeah, oh, to get man. it at midnight. Yeah. And, and that was like, that in itself was an event that you remembered. It sure is. You remember picking up the CD, opening it up like mm-hmm. you'd flip through the booklet you'd read the lyrics you'd look at like who the band thinked and be like oh cool yeah. they think this other band i've never heard of i'm gonna check out that other absolutely. band absolutely i think that created a uh like a, an experience and, and something that you can point back to and really like have have as a memory now I, I think unfortunately with the fact that like you can just pull it up on spotify an album comes out and it might be by a band you love and you don't even you know listen to it the first day or the first week or yep. And, uh, and if, you yeah. Do, yeah. if you do, like you listen to so much stuff that in that one day that you may forget what you heard, you know? Yeah. I kind of think of it like uh, as like um, when you think of like Netflix, for example, uh, I, I think or, or YouTube's another great example. I think uh, the fact that you have unlimited uh, stuff at your fingertips, um, it just makes it so quickly to consume or easy to consume and then move on to the next thing, and it doesn't last as long. Yeah, so like having the album in your car or on your stereo on repeat and just, you know, yeah. like uh, really getting into an album might not be the same these days. Although, uh, you know, that that could be wrong. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm old school in the sense that like, I kind of like the, the idea of like, if I'm getting into like um, a season uh, or a series, uh, watching an episode and being like, I can't wait till next, you know, Tuesday when the next episode comes on <laughs> and having that anticipation and also having time to reflect and digest yes. what I just uh, saw. Whereas like like Black Mirror, I'm really into Black Mirror, the series, and I watched that all in one sitting, you know? I sat there for eight hours, I watched oh, the yeah. entire thing, yeah. and I didn't have time to really think of like all the complexities and everything of each one. Now when everybody's like, what was your favorite episode? I have like trouble remembering what happened in each episode because they kind of all blended into this eight-hour binge. That that yeah. is indeed yeah. what happens. Yeah, and I think music is the same. You know, music as we um, as we listen to so much, um, it doesn't it doesn't last as long. You know, it's an album like you listen to an album, you're like, oh, I can't wait for them to release something new, and now mm-hmm. you might be waiting for another year or two, unless they are doing the single approach. If you're waiting for a full album. Like, hell, like if Tool, I think Tool's last album was in 2007. Oh, and they've yeah, been teasing right. a new album every year since. So it's. <laughs> um, you're, you're, that's exactly right. Um, but since we're on the subject of, of songs, I, I, I just wanted to bring this up because it sort of, it sort of is a way for many um, 
to find out about bands, I think still, I could be wrong about this, but that is cover songs. And uh, I just wanted to ask you how you feel about cover songs or, and or what are the parameters for choosing the right cover song if you play, if you do it. And, and I understand, I recognize that maybe you may have played more cover songs in your past um, personally, but um, I, I do think cover songs have a way of sort of connecting in a way of, hey, we like this artist too. You know, if you like them, you might like us. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um... It, it's hard. It's like a, I don't know, it's a kind of a, a give and take, right? So you, you put out a cover song and I think you have a built-in crowd. The people that like that band, if you do a cover of Adele or something, you're going to have people that like Adele that check you out. Um, one, because they like the song and two, just the way that, you know, like search engine optimization works or YouTube works. Right. So you, you may be listening to something and you see that recommended video or you may uh, be Googling something and this comes up as a cover song and now you're getting all these new ears and eyes on it. And you see those bands that do those music videos for cover songs, and the music video may have, you know, hundreds of thousands or even more uh, views. But it also, I think, it sometimes it pigeonholes them into that, right? Yeah. Uh, I think of a band, for example, like, um, and maybe this is not super relevant today, but like uh, Alien Ant Farm came out with that Michael Jackson. Oh, God, right? yeah. yeah. And that was huge, it's right? Indeed. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that Alien Ant Farm album, uh, I, I actually liked the album quite a bit. Um, and I don't think people really, uh, people didn't get it, like, they, they didn't give it as much of a chance as they just did that single. Like, Absolutely. Like, when you think of Alien Ant Farm, you think of that cover. You don't think it. of, like, yeah. Their, yeah. you don't even think of their other singles. You think of that one cover. Yeah. So it, it's um, sometimes hard to outlive the cover that you get popular for. Right. Uh, man, I can't believe Limp Biscuit did it, because remember, they they released Faith. Yeah, yeah. The, oh, and then they were able yeah. to move past that. But, yeah. Uh, Alien Ant Farm, yeah, they they were funky though. They got some right righteous bass lines. Yeah, and, yeah, they and, were uh, they were a good band. And there's a lot of bands <laughs> that do that. And I, I think especially, um, I mean, in our genre um, or metalcore or metal in general, I think uh, a lot of bands kind of do those pop like here's a Taylor Swift gone metal, and oh, then right. they get huge and everybody likes that one song. But then the, people listen to the other stuff and they're like, oh, this is god awful. <laughs> yeah. This is horrible, right? <laughs> It's um, just not what I wanted, yeah. basically. Yeah. I, want more, I want more Taylor Swift covers. Yes. Yeah, so like, yeah. if you're covering something in a completely different genre, you're really only helping yourself sometimes for that one song. Um, and when you talk about like the rules or parameters, for, for me, I mean, I think obviously do whatever feels right. But for us, so we, we did a couple covers when we first started. Uh, we used to do a cover of a band called Refused, of um, their song, oh. Rather Be Dead. Yeah. And, uh, and, and my rule for it was always, don't do a cover of a band that's currently active. Hey, that's uh, awesome. I was in a band with the same exact rule. Yeah, because like who's going to, I mean, to me it's like, if it's funny because Refuse is actually active again now. So they weren't yes. active at the time. Right. They hadn't been active for over 15 years. Right. And we picked that song, we did it for a while, and then once they came back, I said, we've got to retire this because why would you want to see some band cover the song when you could actually go see the real band play it? Right. Although yeah. uh, getting a chance to see Refused, few and far between, did get to see them in Tucson though when they were last here oh. Oh, I actually yeah. went to that. Show. Oh my god, we were at the same show. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> can't believe it. That's that awesome. was like that was. Did you go for the full show? Or? Oh my god, yeah. So it was really interesting because when we first got there, um, there there wasn't a lot of people there, and I was like, no, Holy, it's so dead. Yeah. And then refused open with that that feedback going for like it felt like twenty minutes. Oh my god. And yeah. then people just started flocking and swarming in. It was like you know like a a light and all the like moths were just being drawn <laughs> to it. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, that whole show was very good. I'm really trying to plague vendor. Yeah, plague vendor. Oh my god, they yeah. opened. They were great. Yeah. They were, and uh, the middle band was there. Um, um, the uh, who was the band? I remember. It shouldn't was, have brought the it girls, up. Right? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, man. Well, we actually saw them play recently, too, at the Rebel Lounge. I just can't think of the name. Okay, I'm sure it'll pop into one of our heads, and we'll just spurt it out later yeah, in the show, yeah. just out of nowhere. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, I would say, like, for me, it was always, like, don't play um, a cover of a band that's currently active. And, and what for us, how it helped us, I think, is... Um, Refuse is slightly within the same genre as ours, right? So, so it helped us, I think, attract those fans. But it also, it was an interesting thing, and this is something that I found very, um, uh, I guess, uh, it was it was cool for me because we used to get refuse references to Refuse all the time. It's like if we got reviewed, if we, uh, if someone listened to us, we're like, oh, you guys remind me a lot like Refuse. And I personally don't think we sound like Refuse, but I love that like comparison. Yeah, sure. yeah, I think it's just because like, all right, we we heard them do a cover of Refuse. They probably sound like Refuse, and I'll take that any day, you know. Sure, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's great. Um, but yeah, speaking of shows and uh, you know doing good shows, I'd like to move along into uh, um, shows and. Just to establish a timeline here, um, can I ask you, you your age and when did you start playing shows? Yeah, so um, I'm 32 and I first started when I was, I guess, 16. Wow. Um, yeah, so, so half your life, basically. Yeah, literally half my life um, playing shows. And I, I think I went on my first tour when I was 17. Wow, um, okay. I never would have thought that, you know, all these years later that I would uh, still be doing it in the same style. And, and honestly, it's it's kind of it's it's warning me to have like a life that I never would have had otherwise. Like ninety five percent of the people that I interact with, uh, or some of my best friends, are all as a result of music. Whether I played, uh, you know, in a band with them, I met them through other bands, I met them through um, doing things like this, you know, like podcasts and other things like that. Right. Um, so almost everybody that I know, even my job, you know, like one of the one of the uh, ways that I got into my job is actually through another musician that I had met and he got me into to where I'm at now. So, so almost I would, I owe my, my girlfriend, my job, my friends, everything to music, um, everywhere that we've traveled. I mean, we've went, been, been to like places that like are, you know, places that everybody wants to go to. Right. But we've also been to a lot of places that are like just small cities that were like, why am I going to go to uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas? other than to play a show there, right, you know? Yeah, right. And then when we go there, we're like, oh, there's some cool stuff here, you know? So, like, yeah. there's just, like, so many experiences um, that are all the result of music, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. So uh, I just wanted to bring up a couple more questions about sort of, you know, getting into the booking realm of things, because uh, I, w- I would think that's one of our biggest questions is, you know, just how to book shows, proper ways of booking shows. And so I just wanted to bring up a couple different ways of, of that happening. Obviously, um, you as the artist contacting a venue, but then also um, um, uh, sometimes bands contacting other bands. And, um, you know, bands that they've maybe, just like you just said, have already come in contact with. You maybe have seen them at a show or, or starting a relationship, but now you're trying to start setting up shows as well. So for those, you know, newer bands out there, maybe, you know, they've played some open mics. They're, they're just getting their, their, their feet out the door, essentially starting to do shows. Um, I just want to get your opinion on, 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 on proper ways of booking shows. Yeah, I think the best way to start... Um, is definitely understanding like where where does your band fit in? So understanding the venues that pl- have your type of music, um, the bands that play your type of music in your area, and then networking that way. Um, I mean, 
the best thing you can do as a band is to go to other band shows. Indeed. So as you go to other band shows, you meet people and you, uh, you might find out who's a promoter at the venue or who owns a venue, who's um, doing the shows. When, when you network with the other bands, they may be able to give you, you know, a recommendation um, or recommend you next time that they're playing a show and have an opening. So I think that's a great way. I also think that um, depending on style of music that you're playing, I think just sometimes doing it yourself, booking it yourself. I mean, who knows your music and what type of bands you should be playing with better than you. Um, so when American Standard started, we started off by just doing house shows um, and contacting venues and saying, hey, we want to set up a show. A lot of times venues will do splits, uh, door splits. So um, they'll take 50% of the door, you take 50%, so no one really has any risk. And then you go out and find the bands, you set up the, uh, you know, the flyer and you promote it yourself. And then everything that you put into it um, you kind of get to see that direct result, you know, and you get to learn really quick. I mean, that, if anything, uh, being, uh, I, not only being in a band, but life in general is all about trial and error. You try things, you find out what works and you keep doing those things. You find out what didn't work and you change it up next time. Um, yeah. and I, I think when you book your own show, that allows you to learn that really quickly. Um, and, and I think it's almost essential because if you're on somebody else's show, you don't always know, like, did they just not get the right bands to play? Right. Um, How come I'm not getting paid? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, uh, uh, getting into uh, setting up shows yourself, uh, that's sort of what I wanted to ask. Uh, what are some of the important questions um, that you you want to ask uh, venues when you are setting up a show with them. Something like, do you have a PA comes to mind, although yeah. most venues, I think, <laughs> would have their own. That's sort of just the most basic one I could think of, but perhaps your insight could lead to others. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's um, that's a good point. I mean, you want to find out what gear you need to bring there. Um, if it's not all provided, do they have a sound guy or not? Is this a place that even mics stuff? So mm. um, especially the smaller places, sometimes you just go, you plug in and play, so they don't necessarily have um, you know, the need to have the drums mic'd and the amps mic'd. Um, so I, I think those are the kind of things you want to understand up front. Um, understanding really what everybody's uh, role and expectation in is in it. Uh, so is the venue helping you... Um, you know, promote it. Are they going to make a flyer for you or are you making the flyer? Are they going to have someone running the door or are you going to run the door? Mm. Um, all those are th good things to kind of know. Um, ticketing yeah. links. I mean, uh, are, is a venue going to set up a ticketing link so people can buy online? Are they going to print tickets or are you just going to do it at the door? Right. Those those are all very good bands. So um, heed those. I, I Finally, I, I in this section of things, I just wanted to ask, is there some sort of emergency bag? Like, do you have a backpack or something full of XLR cables or extra mics or anything <laughs> like that? Like, do you, do you still do that or is that yeah. something you did? Yeah, that's actually... Um, I I personally don't, but um, our bass player is great at that. He actually has a backpack full of, you know, a couple extra mics, a couple extra, uh, you know, instrument cables, um, anything that, you know, uh, power strips is a big oh, one. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't tell you how often that that's not only coming to hand at DIY venues, but even larger venues sometimes uh, don't have a power strip that could kind of, you know, uh, take care of everything that you need. So having that type of stuff is important. Duct tape. Always duct tape. Duct tape. Oh, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Extension cords. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You never there know you when go. duct tape is going to help you in one way or another. <laughs> yeah. um, but now moving on to the other side of shows, I just 
wanted to ask about you had just brought it up, but sort of promotion and um, and and how how you feel about um, you know sure you're you're sharing a bill with a bunch of bands. How do you feel? Uh, do all the bands need to share the show? What what are your thoughts on on that? Like uh, if they're if they're really active on social media or not? A lot of times bands are just some are more active than others, basically. Yeah. But when it comes to a show, you guys are all sharing. Um, just sort of what uh, what would you suggest is proper etiquette? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, um, you're right. I mean, it, it's it's so interesting now with Facebook because Facebook, you're you're basically and everything that Facebook touches, Instagram and, and I guess even Twitter, um, they they you're always fighting an algorithm. So so sometimes I I I'm surprised by you might see a band that has three you know three hundred people that like it. Um, or, or 50 people that like it, and somehow they're having a show that has you know more people than actually like their page. Right. Um, or they, they have an uh, event uh, invite set up or event page set up, and it says two or three people are going to come, and it's a sold-out show. And then you, you also see the opposite a lot, too. You see, like, well, this show's going to be huge. It says, like, 500 people are attending, and you go there, and there's actually five people there. Right. Yeah. So, like, yeah. none of that feels like it means anything anymore when it comes to actually understanding the size of a band and what input actually correlates to to people at shows or correlates to albums being sold um yeah i i i think uh there there is even a subtle shift um right now of bands moving away from social media and i'm just curious if that's something that you've noticed if is happening or if you don't agree with that but it seems like more of more of the younger bands we cover, it's like they don't have links. It's you know, yeah, uh, you know, it's yeah. I, I, maybe maybe it's um, from being discouraged from how it is. You know, they're discouraged, so they just don't set it up. I think it's vital. I think you have to be everywhere. Um, is my opinion, um, and that's the hard part. Is it, it takes time to do that. Um, but you do you do need all the basics. If someone's looking for you and you're not there, they're gonna find someone else, right? Um, so I, I think. Uh, Kind of going back to the the promotion of shows and everything, I think um, although you can't really say that because of this many people are interacting with a band, that's going to correlate to to uh, any type of numbers. You can say that if they're not doing it, then there's not even an opportunity, right? So I, I think bands do have to you know promote on promote on all uh, platforms. They have to be everywhere. If uh, if you're looking for an album and it's not on Spotify or iTunes or Apple uh, Apple Music wherever else you're going. Um, that's just a missed opportunity. So I, I do think you have to be everywhere. Um, and that that's hard. It, it just takes time. Especially in this day and age where you have access to everything. And it's yeah. like, you know, yeah. you'll easily get just blowed right over. <laughs> um, but uh, what about what about the show? The show is happening. And uh, what about sticking around for the entire thing? You know, I... I you you definitely come across different musicians, you know that some some always will stay for the whole show. That's just oh, right. what yeah. you have to do. Some just leave and some yeah. just bail right after their set. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I'm just sort of again curious on your thoughts on that. Yeah, th- this is an interesting one. I probably have unpopular opinions about it. To be honest. Well, then please let us know. <laughs> we we want to hear them because I I absolutely see the um the desire to say, you know, stick around for the entire show, support all the bands. And I think that that's important. It's important that you you do show your support for other artists. I think um, as an artist, you can't be someone that just puts stuff out there and expects everybody to take your stuff and then not reciprocate, you know? Right. Um, but at the same time, I see it is a give and take. You know, people, people do have lives. They have to go home because maybe they work the next day or they have kids or they, um, whatever it is, 
they, they, life happens and they may have to leave, you know? And, um, and sometimes I always, I, I guess what I, I go back and forth on this topic is, is I say like, what truly is the value of someone sticking around to watch you if they don't like your band to begin with? I mean, it may make you feel better because you have a few extra people standing in front mm. of you, mm-hmm. but if they're just standing there because they feel obligated to stand there, um, does it really help you or anybody else there? Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I guess like when I, when I say unpopular opinion, I want to say that like, if you're playing a show that people want to see, then people will be there. If you're not playing a show that people want to see, then they'll leave. And I guess you just have to understand that, you know? Yeah. I think you should give them a chance. I, I absolutely, I mean, I, I probably, I'm on the other side of the, when it comes to uh, sticking around. I do I do try to stick around and watch all the bands. Um, but I also try to give them all, you know, an equal chance to say, I'm going to listen to a few songs and see if this is something I like. Well, quite honestly, too, you've been in it now 16 years. And so if you're a band just starting out, you don't know the bands that are on the bill. Yeah. You're, you are just starting to make these connections. Well, or heck, you're younger, you're 19 or something like that. You know, you might find it more beneficial to stay up all night, catch all the bands. You know, um, who needs sleep anyway when you're young? Yeah. But, well, uh, I mean, <laughs> going off of that, I think you can... Uh, you can learn something from any band uh, and any situation if you allow yourself to be open to. So even if it's a band that you don't enjoy, I think you can learn just as much from a band that you do like, right? You could understand that like showing up on time, uh, you know, setting up and being timely in the changeovers when you're setting up your gear and tearing down your gear. Um, certain things that they do on stage from a performance perspective that you like and don't like. Those are all things that you can learn from a band regardless of if this music itself is something that you enjoy. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's important. Um, I also, I mean, I, I, I kind of uh, see a correlation too between um, sticking around for the shows and, and and if that helps or not, also to the, the way the shows are set up. So I think a lot of promoters... Um, sometimes err on the side that if I put more bands on a show, more people will be there. Ugh. <laughs> or, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. I mean, who wants to stick around to see 10 bands that they've never heard of, right? Um, so, so that's one thing, especially when the fact that the more bands you put on a show, a lot of times those bands, the people in those bands are people that would have went to the show and paid for it anyways. Oh, right, yeah. Um, uh, and, and then also like the pre-sale thing, which is another uh Oh my gosh! Yeah, tickets. So it's like we we could just might as well just bring it up now. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. This this is another case where it's like when you're forced to pre-sell tickets, and as a result, bands, especially younger bands, are pre-selling those tickets to people that wouldn't come to the show normally. They're pre-selling it to their grandma and their grandpa that's not there to see it. That's another example of just like I said, if you're sticking around and you don't really like the band, does it help you? Does it help that you're playing to a bunch of people that don't like your music uh, because they were sold pre-sell tickets? You know, (laughs) Um, you're playing to bunch of people's moms and dads and their aunts and uncles and their friends from uh you know high school 10 years ago or something that just came out to support that one band right um, it doesn't necessarily help anybody if any i guess it helps the, maybe the promoter or whoever's you know taking the money from the show but it doesn't necessarily help the venue to have people at a show that don't want to be there it doesn't help the bands um and it doesn't it's it's kind of toxic because like if yeah. you're always pushing uh like you know come on my show this friday come to my show the next day on saturday come to my show next week there's a there's a breaking point where people are gonna say I I you know I, I support you and what you do, but I'm kind of getting sick of this. Absolutely, I feel the same way. I I guess um 
you'd want to stay uh, uh, again starting out as bands reasons to stay the whole night or sometimes that's how you get paid sometimes if a band leaves Very before true. the show oh, yeah. is done well then their cut of the money goes to someone else or and that's the, how you sell merch too i think oh um, right so sticking around um to sell merch is important because a lot of times people wait till the end of the night to buy their merch because they don't yeah. want to walk around with you know a t-shirt or a flyer or, or spend uh, all their beer money I mean, yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah or yeah i mean they, by the end of the night they might be a little more loose with their money because they have drank more beer right um so that's important and that's actually a, we, we played a show um a couple weeks ago up north and uh that's a lesson i learned because uh right when the last band got done playing uh we played second blast and there's band af- after us right when they got done playing i started loading up stuff in the totes and as i'm walking out um with the totes someone came up to me and they're like oh i was actually gonna pick up something i'm like okay no problem i'll take it out and then i i you know i sold them a couple t-shirts and then i started loading up again and another person oh, man. so i started saying all right maybe i should stick around even longer than i would have like until the last band stick around for like you know another 10 20 minutes yeah because there are people that are still hanging out here and you know they're waiting to buy stuff it's true and especially when you were referencing before too where really is all about connections yep. and you ne- you just never know where those connections are going to take you or, or or what yeah and uh, uh, with the, i mean with the merch merch is really the number one way a band can make money today yes um so i mean we know that it's not coming from your spotify plays or right or or uh, apple music plays so the way that bands make money to, to turn uh, in turn i guess record and go on the road is by selling merchandise you buy a t-shirt for three or four dollars and you sell it for you know, 10, 15 bucks, it's way better than making the 0.001 of a penny from uh, your Spotify. Phone. Right. And, and, and since we're on the topic, um, I, I guess, is that a good reason to have physical media of your music? Cause now some people are just so against even, ah, why bother CDs or, I, I or you go completely opposite and people are releasing stuff on tape all the time now. Again. Oh yeah. Hey, we've got yeah. tapes. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. there is, there is an importance in physical media. Yeah. yeah I, I do think, um, Obviously, it's hard because I think right now there's so much of a risk to buy stuff. There's so much of a risk to buy stuff that um, in bulk that potentially won't sell, right? So if you buy 500 CDs, you don't know if you're going to be sitting on 500 CDs for a week, a month, a couple of years. Yes. Um, so there is some risk there, and obviously you've got to front the money for it. Um, but once again, just like being everywhere on social media, it's almost like you want to have everything that someone might potentially want. Right. So if you don't have CDs, you're just eliminating the opportunity for the people that do still buy CDs or vinyl uh, or cassettes. Um, although cassettes are obviously much more of a novelty. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I'll, you know, some some vehicles, I still have a cassette player in my vehicle. It's old enough. So, I mean, yeah. it, it does still happen. I might have to give you one of our cassettes then. Hey, yeah. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Stick around. Oh. When, people buy, when people buy our cassettes, I'm always like, I know you'll never listen to it. Yeah, right. And almost when I listen to the quality of it on a cassette, yeah. I'm like, I hope you that's, never listen to it. I know. I know. That's what I'm always thinking about. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think having it is important, but I, I also think that... Um, understanding what the demand will be for it you know it, it's cheaper to buy stuff in bulk but you don't want to have it forever because that's just wasted money that you can right. put into something else yeah um i also think that what we're going to see especially within the coming years is a lot more um of print on demand the model for print on demand uh so meaning um there's companies i mean there's a they're great company that just opened up recently in uh, phoenix called arena music mm. um and they do print on demand for for almost any type of merchandise you want oh great and the whole concept is rather than buying 100 t-shirts that you don't know if will sell or not um they'll just 
print the shirt as someone buys it. So if someone buys it online, they print the shirt and they send it out to them. It does cost a little bit more, um, but it's a difference of a couple dollars. And how much money are you saving in the long and run? Yeah, and you're saving money in the long run and you don't have that investment. So you're not putting in you know, $500 into t-shirts right away. I'm thinking of all those Men of the Sea shirts, Devin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's an old band I was in where we printed shirts before we even released any music. Yeah. Nice. And then Might the band broke up. Sure, for a cassette, we'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so the final thing I just wanted to bring up in, as far as staying the entire show especially is uh, uh backlining gear and do you guys ever backline what is your thoughts on playing with backlined gear or using your gear to be backlined yeah i i think it's i personally in most cases i think backlining is great um maybe i'm getting a little bitter in my old age so i hate the long changeovers between bands i hate when you stand there for 30 minutes and you right. uh, why the bands are setting up and tearing down okay yeah. um or the headliners up there that you know probably already spent an hour before the show doing a sound check but yep. for some reason they still take 30 minutes before they play um <laughs> so so i do think backlining is great um but i also think it it depends on where you're at the venue and everything because another thing and we've we've been on both sides of this if you've got five or six bands that are either sharing a backline or have all set up um and have their stuff on a stage and then now the band that's playing before you only has three feet of space to walk around mm -hmm. that's horrible too because we, we've been that band we've been that band and we move around quite a bit when we play but we've had to play in front of five other amps that are backlined and another drum set and their scrims are in the back as well yeah. <laughs> so uh so we've been that band to where now we're like basically playing on the edges of the stage and the whole time i'm worried i'm gonna fall off you know oh, right right <laughs> so i think it is depending on venue obviously if the venue calls for it and you've got room to do it uh do it if um if it doesn't just be quick you know right to ask you about your experience with the press and um, how about do you remember your first experience with the press and did it leave you with a bad or good feeling and um, more in today how do you go about contacting the press or does the press often contact you yeah um so trying to think of my first experience with the press um it was probably someone like the Phoenix New Times, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, even before American Standards, um, we had been featured on Phoenix New Times a few times. Um, we had done, uh, I think, interviews. They covered some of our shows. Um, so I, I think, I mean, it's great, obviously. It, it gets it gets your music out to a, a completely different audience, especially when you're um, in, a, in a case like media, like a local press. Uh, some people that may like it, some people that um, may be impartial to it. But it absolutely helps. Um, I, I think it's it's rewarding. It feels validating when you have it. Um, I think it's good to start small or to start local and build your way out. So get some buzz locally uh, by leveraging, especially like the weekly uh, publications, the free publications like you know Phoenix uh, New Times, um, AZ Weekly, um, College Times. Those are all examples yeah. of here in Arizona local publications. And then after you get that, kind of work your way out. I think it also helps you... Um, understand how to tell your story better um and, and fail at a smaller level because you will fail <laughs> like you'll 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 answer something in a way just like even you know in this talking talking today you'll answer something in a way that you'll think back and say i could have answered that better but it only sets you up you know better for the next one right um so yeah we uh now i i actually for the most part do all the press uh for 
um, or kind of contact all the press for American standards. Um, I've tried in the past to work with publicists. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I did want to ask about that cool, too. Yeah. yeah, so I've I've tried to in the past to work with publicists, and there's obviously a cost associated to that. Um, but the the thing I, I like the fact that you can uh, give them something and let them run with it, and you don't have to do the work. But maybe I'm a little bit of a control freak because then I also found that like the story that maybe they're telling isn't the story that I would want it to be told. Mm. Um, so if it's you know pitching to uh, certain places or or kind of telling the story of a song and what it means. Um, they don't always put it in the light that you maybe would. Um, so I, I, uh, I, I personally, I love doing it myself. It takes so much time and so much work, but I at least know <laughs> that I have control over the message. Um, I, I know who I'm reaching out to, and it feels gratifying to know that like if I, if I put in this work, this is what I get as a result of it. Well, uh, I, I believe I've seen the results. It seems like American Standards is featured on blogs and websites fairly often. I mean, yeah. if it goes to your, your guys' social media, you'll always find new interviews or just articles about the band or, or albums. So, um, yeah, good like job. Yeah, thank you. It's almost like a snowball effect. I think um, once you once you get a few, then maybe other people that are following those see it and then they reach out to you. So where where we started by reaching out to people, now people reach out to us pretty commonly. Um, and I enjoy it, especially being in a, a band that's pretty heavy on the screaming side. Yeah. Um, people might not always understand what we're about and doing things with the press allow us to um, connect in a different way and really tell our story in a way that might be easier to comprehend. Um, and we also get to do fun things. Recently, um, we've moved uh, away, or not away, but we've, uh, we've, instead of doing more long form written interviews, uh, we've done a lot more like short form interviews, like just kind of quick fire answers. We've done like uh, curating playlists for oh, different cool. blogs and websites, yeah. which I really like because um, uh, through Spotify, you, you know, you, you send them your playlist, they, they promote the playlist, you get more followers on there, you throw a couple of your songs up. So mm-hmm. people hear bands that you're influenced by, but also hear your songs. And um, Spotify, just like Facebook, has an algorithm. So the more often that you're showing up on playlists, the more often that it's going to have those, you know, um, automatically generated playlists yes, add you as well. Yes. So those are all cool things. I think you could do a lot of cool things with features. And I think that um, the industry is moving towards how we can innovate with features. So people are doing, um, like, for example, live streams pretty often. Oh, right. Uh, where they're doing Facebook live streams. They're playing their songs on Facebook Live. They're... Um, they're just kind of thinking of different ways that you could engage with fans that you um, that you really couldn't in the past. Right. I guess with that said, we could have been Facebook living this whole conversation. <laughs> oh, no, man. No. You know, and it's, it's content driven. I think so. Like even I, I've, I've learned so much even from Anti-Melody when we released it um, earlier in the year that I wish I would have done. And I know we'll do for the next one. So things like just things you really don't think about is like, all right, we're recording today. I'm going to snap some pictures in the studio. Mm-hmm. I'm going to yeah. take some videos. I'm going to um, maybe just like, get, you know, as Corey's going to do a guitar track, just have a video up and ask him a couple of questions about it. Like, what did you want this part to sound like? And this and that. And then don't release that all right away. Because I think that's, as, as people that create stuff, I think we like to create something, put a bow on it, and put it out in the world right away. Yeah. And then it doesn't necessarily <laughs> land. And you get discouraged and maybe you just stop creating because of that. Or you don't do it as often. I think you have to stockpile a lot of stuff and then make it a steady drip. Because we can't release a song every week. Right. Um, we can't even release a song every month. But what we can do is we can release a song and then 
maybe you know this week I'm gonna post a couple pictures from when we we're in the studio doing that song, then post a few videos, and then do a couple reviews and a couple interviews, um, and all those things allow that one song to have more life. So going back to something we talked about in the beginning um, about the singles, I, I think. Um, if you look at, even if you're releasing an LP, if you look at every song on that LP as a single and how you can give each song its own life, yes, uh, you'll probably f- feel a little bit better about the results because you'll be able to allow each song to live instead of just the two songs that have a music video for it or, right. or whatever song it got out there. And you say, okay, well, why did I spend so much time and money on 12 songs when only two landed? Right, yeah, and uh, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, bands will make music videos or, or do things for songs that came out on an album, you know, one to two years old. Yep. But, uh, you know, you're just putting out a brand new music video. It's a way to, to you know, reignite that, that entire thing. Especially because we were talking about before, people may have, you know, listened to the album, but now are so are just on to so many other things. Even though they may have really liked the album, yeah. they, and now this gives them ex- an excuse to go back and, yeah. and re-listen. And you know, people, I don't know that people have the mindset of if someone hasn't heard the song in the past, then it's new to them regardless of if it came out this year or it came out five years ago. Indeed. Um, so, I mean, if you hear a new uh, Beatles song that you've never heard before, it's essentially <laughs> new to you, yeah. uh, just like when you heard Harvester. Earlier. Yeah, it does still happen. It does still happen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you might as well promote your old stuff. Yeah. Um, and try to get it to new people because the people have already heard it are just going to scroll past and say, okay, I've heard this. But there are going to be other people that say, wow, this is brand new to me and this is awesome. This is just as relevant um, regardless of what year it came out. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And in, in a way, in a strange way, music streaming services almost make that kind of better because it, it gives access to all the music that you know yeah. that you've released before in a way and as it suggests artists it's interesting because oh uh, yeah as i'm on shuffle and it's or on a playlist and it starts suggesting artists i'm like oh this is a really cool song and i check it out like wow this band's last album was in you know 2002 they've been broken up <laughs> yeah. since then. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then i've got like now this whole new album that i get to listen to that mm-hmm. is like i said fresh to me absolutely um well okay we've we're coming to the end of our show here and so i wanted to ask you one of the more important questions just because um you know a lot of new bands out there ultimately you are probably not making a living at your music so i wanted to ask you brandon do you have a day job and what is it and how does it feed into uh you know the nightlife yeah so i actually yeah i absolutely have a day job um i i work at wells fargo i'm a i manage a strategy and analytics team so i'm kind of a big nerd in that regard yeah uh just looking at you know excel and sql and Microsoft database all day. So uh, I, I do that. And actually, I, I use that. And I think you can do this regardless of what your career is. I use that to kind of uh, use it uh, to learn and apply skills to the band. And then stuff that I've learned from the band, I actually apply to the job as well. Um, and networking, I, things yeah, like that. Ne- networking. And even like from the analytics standpoint, like so... My, and once again, I'm a huge nerd when it comes to this stuff. So when I go to press, I have a spreadsheet. I have an Excel spreadsheet that has every time that we get featured in anything, I put you know the name of the publication. I put what state it's located in, what type of music it um, it deals with, what the email address is. Then whenever I want to do something in the future with the press, whether it be release a song or you know whatever kind of content it is, I can feature or I can kind of filter it and say, okay, you know we're gonna play a show in California. What's some blogs and websites in California that deal with metal music? Right. Um, or if I'm just saying we're going to release a single, let's you know 
get it out to everybody. So that, those are types of skills that I learned from work. And now I apply it to being in a band and it allows me to be smarter as opposed to every time going, I'm going to do something, but now I've got to look up, you know, the places that might be able to help. Right. Me. Yeah. And this is something that I didn't do in the past. So I think as it's, taken me 15 years essentially <laughs> to to do the same thing but to do it smarter and that's yes. what it's all about and i'm sure hope hopefully a year from now or two years from now i'll look at what i'm doing today and say wow i could have really done that better you know <laughs> um because i i did I, I used to do that same thing like every single time that i i put out something new or i needed a contact i would have to go back to google or go back and say okay where can i find something that could help me with this so likewise on your spreadsheet i would imagine that uh you have put uh, blogs or, or press that you've contacted as well Absolutely, already. Yeah. Yeah. So that way you know and you can kind of see a duration of how long, if and when, that press contacts you back. Yeah, about what it, exactly. I can I filter it and say, all right, these are people that have already featured us in the past. They're kind of like the, uh, the prime uh, real estate to kind of shop something to in the future. These are people that have never really given me a response, but maybe I want to send them a different type of message. Um, so those are all things that I absolutely do. Um, and, and like, I mean... Wells Fargo definitely pays uh, pays the bills for me. Right. The band uh, the band definitely makes some money, but like I said, it's not through it's not necessarily through the music uh, entirely. It's through more merch and playing shows. Um, but I, I and this is another thing that's uh, I think uh, unpopular thing is like I I think the fact that um, I don't rely on the band makes the band so much more enjoyable and it allows right. me so much more freedom to do whatever we want with the band. Uh, when I was younger. Music was 100% the dream. I wanted to be in a touring band. If uh, if my job at the time said, hey, you can't get this two weeks off to, to go on tour, I would quit the job. And I, I did that for several years. And I started getting frustrated because I realized like, if these shows fall through um, or if we don't get our guarantee tonight, then I can't pay bills back home. I can't pay my car or my, right. my rent or whatever it is. Um, and it became very frustrating. And I think it causes a lot of bands, not only frustrating from a standpoint like, um, you know, I can't pay my bills, but it causes a lot of bands to compromise their art and say, well, maybe if I change it, people will like it more. Um, so sure. having the day job allows me to do it on my terms, and I love that. Um, but I also see the other side of that. What a lot of artists say is, if you have a backup, then how are you going? If you have a backup, that backup net will allow you to, um, I guess, not give it your all. Um, so I understand that, like right. you say, if it's it something you love, do it 100% and, and try it and, and don't have a backup plan because that backup plan is what you'll eventually do. The sink or swim method. Yeah. So I, I definitely see both aspects and I, I've, I've tried both and this works for me, you know, with American standards, we can tour as much as we want to, or as little as we want to. Um, we can play the shows we want to play and turn down the ones that we don't want to play. Yeah. And I love that. There, there's no stress in it. Um, and, and it's taken you years to figure that out. Would yeah, you say? it has. You know, it, it definitely took took me years. And I, I would say my advice to any younger person is maybe um, do obviously do what feels right for you, but maybe try the hybrid. Get, give yourself give yourself a time frame and say if you know I'm going to give this two years or five years. And if I, I'm going to give it my all, my 100% for that time frame. if it happens, it happens. But if it doesn't, then try something different. I mean, what's that whole quote about like doing something the same and expecting a different result is insanity or... Oh, yeah, yeah, repeating exactly. Repeating the same mistake. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. yeah so and expecting that, something different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially in today where everything changes so quickly. Right. If I were to apply the same method I applied when I was you know, 20 to doing what we're doing right now, you know, making an angel fire website and posting it in a couple message boards, that's not going to work. 
um, or, or, or even like, you know, pressing <laughs> CDs and, and going out to shows and handing those CDs out, that's less effective than it was. I think right. it still helps because there's still people that appreciate that. But if that's the only thing you're doing, you're definitely limiting your scope. Absolutely. Uh, well, um, a lot of great advice and, and stuff here. So um, hopefully bands, you are heeding uh, some of this and, and learning a few things along the way. What, my final question for you, Brandon, is what do you have upcoming? Is there new American Standards uh, uh, stuff in the works? Yeah, we actually just started pre-production um, on uh, hopefully a new, I'm assuming it's going to be an EP. Um, and uh, right now we're basically... Working on, uh, we've already written the majority of the songs. We're kind of just working on how we want them to sound so we can understand what studio would be the best to work with them. Okay, So yeah. definitely within the next, uh, I would say next three months, we'll probably have something new out. Uh, we have actually a tour um, going in March, uh, which is uh, through the West Coast and a lot of Pacific Northwest. So we're playing up through California, uh, quite a few shows in Oregon and um, in Washington, and then coming back down. So very excited about that. Um, and we're kind of almost every two months going to be on the road. So uh, nice. starts off with uh, the West Coast. Uh, we're going to shoot over to the East Coast when it's a little bit nicer when uh, weather-wise. And then by the end of the year, we'll be uh, in the Midwest. Um, we're also a huge goal for us for the longest time has been to go out to the to, uh, UK. Um, we had a label that presses all our vinyl out in the UK. Um, and some really good friend bands out there that we'd love to go out and tour with. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, Brandon Kellum of American Standards, thank you so much for joining us on our inaugural episode of Band Basics. Um, I think you definitely offered a lot of keen insight onto many topics. So, um, like I said, hopefully bands you were listening out there. And, um, yeah, for all of us here at uh, Yabby Music and Arts and Seven Streams Media, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you on the next one. Hey.